0: guys and welcome to the ninth episode of Below the Bar. In this episode expect to find out what it takes to summit Everest, how Ant Middleton operates in the death zone with a hangover, and why we have a history of confrontation with bouncers. Let's get into it. Before this episode starts I would like to make a quick announcement, I'll be hosting a military preparation seminar day on the 22nd of July at Forders Gym in Birmingham. We have sourced industry leading experts to cover a range of topics including performance, nutrition mindset, self-defence, and much more. Tickets are limited, so to secure yours, click the top link in the description. Back to the show. Right, and we're back in. Welcome to this mountaineering and Everest episode of Below the Bar. Yeah, well, that's the main topic again. We've got to go through our segments first of Helmet of the Week. It's quite a big one this week, isn't it? Yeah, it's so quite it's on-brand for us, really. At the moment. It's very on-brand, and if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we already have quite a lot of beef with this particular community. Yeah, I don't think you're going to disagree with us either here. No, I think this, this could be the first universally agreed helmet of the week. Yeah, not too much polarisation going on and, here. And depending how angry I get over the next five minutes, they could quite easily be elevated to hat status. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Do you want to explain? First, I can explain why, and then we'll explain the actual anecdote. Right, okay. okay, so the helmet of the week is bouncers, just in general, as, <laughs> yeah. a, pejorative, just, as a pejorative term. As a profession. As a I profession, feel and also... I feel unto, they do add, add, add much value to, to anything. Well, you they, they, they know, they're definitely net loss to society, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> yeah. I have yeah. very little sympathy for bouncers, because it, it takes a certain kind of person to be a bouncer, doesn't it? Well, they tend just to be large blokes. Yeah. That's it. That's pretty much the only criteria. That, yeah. Right. Well, well, You're a bloat, yeah. You're a large bloat and you've got various personality defects. Yeah. yeah. And you've got an inferiority complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can lead the doors, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so bouncers are helmet of the week this week. Uh, not least because we hate them, but a specific anecdote in particular sparks this. Yeah, was this Saturday night? Yeah, this was Saturday night. Another send. Yeah, not like us. <laughs> not like uh, us. So yeah, we were, we were out in Albert Schloss, which is, the, there are all over the country, so you might know what it, what it is, but it's basically a massive uh, nightclub cum bar, and it's busy as fuck, essentially, after a certain point. If you get there past eight o'clock, you're in trouble, aren't you, really? It was about, what was it, about It was nine. about ten o'clock. Basically, we were in the queue for Albert Schloss at about ten o'clock, which is later than we should have gone really. Yeah, because before that, you can just walk in. Yeah, you Pretty can. Pretty sound about it. Anyway, we get to the front of the queue. Uh, someone that was in our party, who we're not particularly keen on... Yeah, was who, we ba- won't mention him. might save him for an time. Yeah, with the weekend. Yeah, yeah. basically. Someone that we were with, uh, not out of choice, was basically being a knobhead in the queue. Yeah, which as dr- always. Which drew the attention of the bouncers, yeah. which then immediately made us a target for them. Yeah, Tar- tarred our entire group with his brush, essentially. Yeah. So, we get to the front of the queue... I'm the only one that's wearing what could be described as a kind of sports brand T-shirt. Right. They described it as sportswear because it had Nike on it. That was a fucking oversized T-shirt that you'd buy from a Nike outlet. Yeah. I said, who's running fucking 5K in that T-shirt? Yeah, so the, the particular reason why they initially didn't grant us entry to the premises was because I was wearing sportswear. It's not. It's kind of like these on trend like oversized like vintage t-shirts that you get now yeah. you would not wear that to do a fucking Murph workout yeah, true. would you i've never seen anyone wear that in the gym no it's heavy <laughs> cotton uh you yeah. would not wear that to do a workout so it doesn't really contribute sportswear and the other issue i had with this was the the inconsistencies with their with their message discipline Sorry. Yeah, and again, <laughs> as, as you know, very on brand, we're all about message discipline. And I've... I've only from, only from the last two weeks. I've literally worn this T-shirt to Albert Schloss before and those exact same bouncers have let me in yeah. wearing that T-shirt. On the same night of the week. Yeah. But their, their reasoning as to why that, that wasn't a, a good enough excuse was, oh, it's different this time. Yeah. Right. So again, I, I hate the fact that there's no hard and fast rules with bouncers. It's it's where, just, however they feel. It's just at their whim, yeah. isn't it? And I don't like that because they've not got the authority or the credentials, in my mind, to make shit up as they go along. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Um, they're not well versed enough in 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 a much. No, way. and the thing is right. They've not got the gift of the gab either, so they I can't they can't articulate their point well enough to kind of create the air of knowledge. Do you know what I That's mean? That's true. Yeah. So they, they, so they, they you left sort of floundering, aren't you there? Yeah. Uh, and also the other inconsistency with their message discipline was um, was the fact that. So they said no Nike, essentially was their was yeah, reason, was there? Yeah. No Nike. Before that and after that, they proceeded to let people in with Nike shoes on. <laughs> yeah. So is yeah. it just well is it just Nike shirts or you know, have we got a problem with Nike as a brand. Oh, I or? think like I think like over half of our group Yeah were wearing Nike footwear. Yeah. Ridiculous. So, is that sportswear? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. You're gonna go for a five K run in Air Force? Air Force, yes. yeah, you could you could do. You absolute hat. But anyway, so, being the twat that I am, uh, I didn't take too lightly to this. Yeah. Uh, I argued my case. As we covered last week, bouncers don't take too well to, to reasoning and logic. Yeah, and they are very firmly within my wheelhouse. Yeah. So, I exercised that right. Yeah, especially when you're drunk. You, you're so, so, basically what happened is, they didn't grant me entry. I made the point that I'd been to Albert's Schloss before in that t-shirt and mm. on that exact same And you were noise. about to provide photo evidence of that. Yeah, at which <laughs> point, one of our quick-thinking friends, yeah, Mr. Mr. Marine, Marine Cray, yeah, newly qualified marine. So I um, mean, he's all over his, he's all over his improvised adapter. He he, he, he made. Well, he quickly realised that one of our mates had just left Albert Schloss and was kind of lurking outside while this was going on, and that I could swap t-shirts with him and then gain access. Yeah, because then they couldn't have an issue with that because that t-shirt had literally just been in there. Yeah, exactly. Their, their, just, so we beat them at their own game. Yeah, we beat the system. So. Man. Again, just to rub it in their face, I swapped T-shirts with this bloke, directly in front of them, in public, in the queue, Yeah. Uh, and they let us in. Yeah, but then they took us for a little team talk, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. A little team twat so, talk. So, uh, to be fair to them, they admitted defeat, which yeah, I've never yeah, seen a band to do true. before. I thought I was going to get filled in. I've seen it once before, only once, but that was when they, they basically said, oh, we're not letting anyone else in, Right. And then I went and found some girls, and they were. And I went, "Well, will you let us in now." Went, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> right, thank you. Do so so you not let any more blokes in? Is what you saying? <laughs> yeah, so I've had the last laugh. <laughs> yeah. but anyway, like they, they could, they had to have the last little niggle, didn't they? So yeah. they took, they took us aside for what, like as you correctly said, could only be described as a team talk. Yeah, as team... if we'd lost our heads or something. You know what <laughs> I mean? Sure. Very, it was very Warnock esque. And we, when we, when we're drunk, we're, we're not like we never kicking off, are we? Yeah, but the thing is, we weren't even that drunk. No, no like even we, we, when we are in, in the queue, yeah, and that we're we weren't like incoherently mildly. rowdy. We no. were literally queuing silently. Yeah, true. Well, me and you stood together, literally just chatting normally. And then, like we said, our mate was a bit of a wanker. He's not our mate. Well, he's was, not our mate. Was, be- was behind us. <laughs> don't, don't give him that Don't, 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 don't him grant that him the, with the friend status. Yeah, so he was behind us and he, he was kicking off and that's why they took issue. But then, during our team talk with, with Neil <laughs> Ornock... Uh, <laughs> They they pointed at me who I've said fuck all all night and he went Yeah and, and look I mean you were kicking off in the queue I was like fuck all you can't just fucking make no, shit you, up you, you need to give the whole spiel for full effect. Right. So right. so so I've just so picture the scene, I've just changed t shirts in front of them. They're trying to hold back the fact that they're seething. Uh the lead bouncer goes to us, Right, right lads, so we're gonna grant you entry to the premises. To the venue. Yeah, but just just come and have a word with us first. Yeah. Come and have a word with us. is like, alright, fuck. Trying to sorry, calm us down. Sorry, Pep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was like it, what did he say he was playing hearts and minds wasn't he really? yeah he was yeah. what did he say he said uh, so we're going to let you into the premises but uh, just calm it down yeah. yeah calm it down and we were like, like we haven't kicked off and you were like well you, you've been mouthing off in the queue no, it's yeah. pointing at me pointing at you someone said him. five words in about <laughs> 15 minutes yeah <laughs> you know what I mean fucking ridiculous but uh, um, long story short they let us in and once again I had the last laugh yeah. so Eddie Rex won bounces nil yeah and, and they quickly became helmet of the week because of that specific anecdote but We've had a sort of history of bouncers, anyway. I mean, you. Sure? Yeah, it's fair to say that it's my, been lingering for a while. My nonchalance doesn't rub off well on bouncers. No, uh, nonsense in general doesn't. Neither does neither does wit or or any other uh, or or intelligence for <laughs> that matter, because they're distinctly lacking it. Uh, well, like I say, their their inferiority complex doesn't serve well to being talked to. Essentially, no. well, their only language is. is Rage is rage and violence. So, yeah, yeah. So and they're not anything, they're, anything between those two spectrums. And, and, they do together. and Those two things aren't mutually exclusive <laughs> yeah. either. They often overla- overlap quite heavily. Yeah, and not that it's an easy job, but being a bouncer will be shit, right? Yeah, but I mean, you brought that on yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. Self, self-imposes. So, self-im- self-imposed, so uh, no love lost there between me and bouncers. But that's your helmet of the week. Uh, make of that what you will. Yeah, could, e- could easily be hat status, but I can't be bothered to give any more of my time and energy to them. So. Yeah, and like I say, you probably agree with us. Because I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast has had a dealing with a the bouncer. Then. Yeah, and unless you're it, a girl, you've probably got the, probably probably got. Like, yeah, uh, and if you're a bloke and you haven't had a bad running with a bouncer, it's probably because you are a bouncer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, on to the meat of the episode. Yeah, I'd say I'd say that this week's topic is definitely more in your realm. No, it probably. has. It has been historically. Yeah, I guess so. We we, we had that conversation actually this week. I mean, the, yeah. I I proposed that we go and climb Snowdon as a as a little bank holiday event to keep us off the booze, and uh, you were like, mate, I fucking hate mountains.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Explain that a little bit. Right. So yeah, <laughs> I, I should probably cover <laughs> cover some basic admin here. I have uh, a deep mistrust of. <laughs> Large hills and mountains for some reason. <laughs> I trust a mountain. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not rational, this Yeah, thing. much to the extent of his trust issues. Yeah, <laughs> you can't trust inanimate in objects. I've done a lot of. I've done a lot of heavy thinking about this. I can't quite pinpoint why. I'm not sure whether it's because I did A level geography, so I just associate it with shit field trips. True. Or as a child, I didn't like heights, so it might be a bit ah, of the yeah, two. Yeah. Maybe that's it. What do you like with heights now? All right, but I, I think it's more so the fact that it—I just associate it with shit field trips. Would you jump out of a plane? Random, yeah, I want to do a question. skydive. That's yeah. on my bucket list. What's what's your opinion? This is random. What's your opinion on on skydiving versus bungee jumping? In what regard? I mean, which which would you rather do? Skydive. I think. I agree, but I. am not against bungee jumping. I think it requires a lot of trust in the in the in the person providing the apparatus if for that, bungee jumping. Yeah, yeah, could, and they tend to be quite half so yeah because if that bungee is either the wrong fucking length first of all you can smash your teeth on the floor and then if it's not well serviced it can just snap and I've seen that happen
1: yeah again it's, it's
0: probably a little bit of negativity bias we've seen things on social media but what well, have you seen that video someone jumps off there's one of these ones off a bridge down to um, water and you're supposed to like stop Inches above the water, <laughs> he just fuck fucking off. puts himself straight in the hole. Yeah, literally, because <laughs> you jump from such a height as well. Water just becomes rock yeah. solid, so it fucks him up, mate. He's like on his head. Yeah, because yeah, you go in head first as well. Yeah, it's nasty. Well, One thing I would like to do is a um a pendulum thing. which you in them swing things? That they do in the canyon. Yeah, I'd like to do that. That'd be sick. I think I think I think you're on to something there, because obviously to to be a like skydiving qualified skydiving instructor, or whatever. Yeah. You have to have credentials. True. To open, ha- yeah, that's but true. But like, to run a bungee jump centre, well, I'm not necessarily to run it, but to work there, it, it gives me stoner Cause, vibes. Because the work jewelled Yeah. Probably don't and, need and, and, it. As, and as we know, I have a deep mistrust of the stoner community. Yeah, and, and the, the, the lazy Saturday morning. This la- I'm not, yeah, again. We're not quite over that from last week. No, we? the lazy Saturday boy, is still rent free in my head. So <laughs> yes, I think I'm with you <laughs> anyway, on that one. Anyway. Just trying to get through. It. So, yeah, so, so let's actually get back. <laughs> so let's yeah. actually get back onto the main subject of this episode. Yeah. Mountaineering and Everest. Let's tell me a bit about your relationship with this topic because because you are much more into this than I am. Yeah. So I've had a lot of, like quite a lengthy relationship with mountaineering anyway because I used to do it. My dad's mega into that world anyway. So he's never been into fizz in terms of voluntary, like putting yourself in a, in the bin. He's never really ran. He's never been to the gym, for example, but. His version of fizz is walking, and he'll do he'll walk forever. So if you look up like outward bounds in the dictionary, there's a photo of your dad. Yeah, I think it's so. it, uh, yeah, kind so of like funny. the quintessential like knobbly kneed Brit. Yeah, like scampering up like a rock, sheer rock face yeah. with like cheese sandwiches in his bag. Like I'm giving <laughs> that kind of it's that kind of vibe, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's giving like B Tech Bear Grylls vibes. Yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. So, anyway, um. So yeah, introduced to it by my dad when I was younger. Obviously, not maybe, maybe not mountaineering, but low levels of that so hill walking and scrambling and shit he used to do scree running have you heard of that no but it sounds gnarly yeah so it's actually illegal now because it, de- <laughs> it defaces the mountain I think so you know when you get He's you know what scree man. is Where it, so on the side of the mountains you've got loads of loose rock yeah, you know, yeah, yeah and that essentially if you like kick it avalanches it, it's way down right. so if you run down it with the avalanche it creates this massive speed and you can ride the scree essentially but anyway he used to do that a lot as a kid quite dangerous Quite an adrenaline junkie, my dad. That's where I get it from. Uh, but yeah, so c- climb loads of shit with my dad when I was younger, and then upon joining the Marines, obviously, you're not only do I use it for training, obviously in in pre harsh conditions where you're carrying loads of weight, where you do mountain training, but also you do it for adventure training, which is supposedly quote unquote fun. So you do um, the Snowden Triangle or whatever it's called, where you do Crib gock and then go up up the st- summit of Snowden and round through all the other all the other horseshoe. But you you do that as a as a fun exercise essentially in, in the Marines. Um and so yeah, I've had a lengthy history with low level mountaineering. I'm not gonna call myself a fucking mountaineer. No. Because I don't know don't know what I'm doing really, but uh I have done it a fair amount of times. And I just I enjoy anything that's anything that's physical, obviously. I also enjoy the fact that it takes you away from Almost like we were talking about with bouldering last week. It takes you away from this traditional setting of the gym and running, and all you know, all that stuff can get quite stale. Yeah. You still get a very good training response walking uphill quite fast, and it it takes your mind off it because you're you're surrounded by really picturesque nature first of all, and then you you get into a tangible point. Yeah. You're not just going for a run. No, so you're it's good to for, the top and back the house. It's good form of mental escapism as well. One hundred percent. So you are quite literally like geographically removed from reality. Yeah, exactly. Because you're in the off end of nowhere. And I quite like the spontaneity of it. So again, with a with a run that you've done that route 10-12 times, right? You know exactly where where the hills are. You know what's going on with the uh, the mountains. You can there's a, normally a few different routes you can take. So pr- depending on which one you choose, you vary up your stimulus a little bit. So you can go up routes that are just walking if you're a little bit if you're not feeling it much or you can go up routes that are a bit more scrambly so you, you're literally climbing the face of the mountain that, yeah. that, that, that interests me because spontaneity is pretty much within my blood yeah. <laughs> again probably because of my dad and then you've got the the other, the other part of it where a lot of times I know on Snowdon especially and in the lakes hence it's the lakes you have really picturesque bodies of water and we all know I like my cold dips right mm. so they can, they can start to materialise on, on the side of mountains on a sponta- spontaneous basis, um, which I just, I'm just i just drawn to. I don't know what it is. And I like the fact that you can really make a day of it. Uh, like what I've talked about with the booking events and stuff, you yeah. know, with like Tough Mudder and the marathon and et cetera. Obviously, those are things you have to train for and have to wait for and stuff. But you can just do this on a whim. You can go, from where we live anyway, we're in the Midlands, pretty much anywhere equidistant apart from Scotland. You can go within a day Climate, you can get come back, have a beer. it makes a decent outing, decent day. Yeah, I have very distinct memories of you from the well, the first few years that I knew you. Anyway, have been quite obsessed with Bear Grills as well. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this last week. First book I actually read, or one of the first books I read was um, that was in and around the Harry Potter series. <laughs> the um, the autobiography from Bear grills and he obviously almost similar his dad. Was an ex Royal Marine and a massive outward bound um, proponent proponent, and he was like, "Well, well, Don't cover him too much. Don't cover him too much, to cover him too much but and he obviously climbed Everest, and then we'll no spoilers. He um and so reading that furthered my interest almost in that kind of world, but yeah, I had, I had quite a, a strange affinity for when i was younger. Yes, right. So let's cover some basic mountaineering admin. Yeah, to start off with, what is mountaineering? I've drafted a definition, <laughs> but we'll put you on the spot uh, okay. to make it look like a hat yeah, and see right. if you can come up with something decent. That's fine. Um, there's a distinction, surely, between hill walking and mountaineering. Is it, so, it's essentially, you're just climbing something above a certain dis, above a certain height. Yeah, so what, To constitute a mountain, it has to be over, uh, is it 800 metres? Yeah, so I put an extreme sport which combines hiking and climbing in order to reach the summit of a mountain. Yeah, so, and again, to, does, to, it does what it says on the tin To mate. differentiate between a hill and a mountain it has to pass a certain level of elevation. Yeah, So, yeah, yeah nailed it. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure most people know what mountaineering is because mm. the kind of, the, hint, the hint's in the name. Yeah, it? it's, it's, it's quite a distinct badge. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, And can you name the tallest mountains in the world? I can name the tallest. So I <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can name K two and um, Mount Everest. Obviously, uh, Kilimanjaro is up there. I know it's not one of the, the tallest, but they're the they're the popular ones. No, so quick, quick I, know geog- you've got, I know you've got them all written down. with yeah. st- we stats. <laughs> quick geography lesson for everyone, as obviously my background is in geography. <laughs> i in fact. Could we cover this now, so it's out of the way? Yeah. Purely for geographical reasons, yeah. a lot of this episode is going to be focused around like Nepal and Tibet. Yeah. And obviously, for any for anyone watching, it's quite obvious that we're not from Nepal. To bed. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. there's going to be certain pronunciations in this episode that we will make a hash of. <laughs> yeah, so don't come for us in the comments. So don't come unless, unless you can do it better. We're trying our best here, yeah. all right. And some of these words are challenging to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So if I'll, we, I'll let you do those. <laughs> if we pronounce anything incorrectly, then please forgive us. But yeah, so. Four of the five tallest peaks on Earth are located within the Himalayas. Mm, doesn't shock me. Which is a huge mountain range in the kind of Indian subcontinent. In between yeah. in Nepal, Tibet. It kind of goes round a few, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, it's fucking massive, it's massive basically. It? It's hard to really... It's a bit like, well, the Alps is similar, isn't it? The Alps isn't just one, one country. No, exactly. It, it, it comes, it comes with the territory of being a mountain range, doesn't it? Yeah. They tend to be quite big. <laughs> yeah. So, as you correctly said, the tallest mountain on Earth is Mount Everest, which we're going to be talking a lot about today. There are 14 peaks above 8,000 metres in the world. The death zone. Yeah, so we'll we'll use this term interchangeably. So the death zone is known as the point above 8,000 metres, supposedly when human survival isn't sustainable. it's when your oxygen uptake isn't very yeah. efficient anymore. So if, <laughs> if you hear us talking about the death zone, that basically means 8,000 metres plus. Yeah, it's 28,000 feet, I think. Yeah, I work in metres, so you can do the conversion. I'll need, I'll need so, yeah, the top five peaks in the world, as I said, four out of the five are in the Himalayas. Yeah. So at number five, we've got Makalu, which is 8,481 metres. Yeah. Number four, we've got Lo- Lotsey. Lhotse. Lhotse. I'm gonna. <laughs> that sounds more African than it does Asian, but we'll go with that. Yeah. That's eight thousand five hundred sixteen meters. Lhotse. Maybe. Then num- coming in at number three, we've got Kanchenjunga, which nice. again definitely haven't said right, nah, but we'll go there. That's it does what it says on it? eight thousand five hundred eighty-six meters. Then number two, we've got K two. Nice easy one for you there. Yeah, I like that. That's that eight- must have a more uh, complex name. It's just been nicknamed by like Westerners, <laughs> hasn't it? Yeah. See what's happened there is it's got an indigenous name. And a, a, a Westerner, probably a Brit, yeah. has looked at that and thought, "Fuck it, we'll call it K 2 You know what that's like when you know when Uber drivers and taxi drivers come over and their uh, and their names are a bit like difficult to pronounce, so they know they're not gonna be pronounced right by Brits, so they just call themselves like Dave or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave is outside. Yeah, 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 I'm pretty sure he's not called Dave. <laughs> yeah, that's that
1: is exactly. a good
0: that is a good example of that. What what struck me about this because I'm not a mountain nor so other than researching this podcast, I haven't really had much exposure to it. Yeah. All of these peaks are very close oh, yeah, in I, height. I thought that when you read them all out. they're all was The lowest one was 8.5. Eight eight, eight, yeah, 8.5, basically. Yeah, basically. So within 300 metres of each other. Don't get me wrong, to be fair, probably, I haven't been up there, but 300 metres in the death zone is probably a fucking long way. Yeah, Because it's, it? it's vertical, as I well, remember. Yeah. So it's 1,000 feet. Yeah, in in the death zone. So it probably is quite a big difference. But um, we were we were speaking a bit off air, and we you know obviously if you climb Everest, you get all the shit that goes with that. There's the Sherpas to help you up. There's the the, a big support network probably behind you, you know, to get from camp to camp, whatever. Um, Because it's a big thing. If you climb one of the other ones, like Lhotse or whatever it's called, you probably don't get that, and you certainly don't get the notoriety associated with it. Even though you've only climbed, you've probably climbed. Ninety-nine point nine percent of it. Yeah, I mean, no one gives a fuck. Do that. Yeah, but it's see, a bit like when someone finishes the marathon right in third place, you don't hear of him, even though he's ran the marathon at a ridiculous pace. No, whereas someone, the one who wins it gets all the notes. Right? See, the thing is with Everest, right? It's transcended the sport, so True. everyone knows Everest. Yeah, but only people within that sphere really know, like K two or yeah. any any. Maybe some people have heard of K2, K2, K two, but any of the other ones. You know, you'd know, you have to be kind of within that field yeah unless you're a geography nose that's true um, I'd never heard to be honest I'd never heard of I knew there was 14 peaks in the death zone but I didn't know what they were called individually and the, the rank of them in terms of where they are in, in, in the hierarchy but uh, yeah I knew about K2 and, and everest because they're the big ones and again it's someone times K2 even though that is heard of I would say by people outside the mountaineering community. You don't hear about it, do you really? No. People aren't writing books when they've uh, climbed K2. What I, mean? I think K2 is the only one of the five that isn't in the Himalayas. Mm. I think because that's in Pakistan, isn't it? K2. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure what that mountain range is called, but I don't think it's the Himalayas. No, it's I mean... separate. Even though geographically, it's still quite it's quite close. close. I wonder what it is about that part of the world that, that means they have... A tectonic plates, so I assume. Yeah. That's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. That's geography for you. Um... <laughs> don't quote me on that. Yeah. Anyway... Let's not get bogged down too much in in numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go back to people because they're inherently more interesting. True. You don't like maths, do you? We've established no. this this week as well. Again, I have a, I have a deep mistrust of numbers. Yeah, as well. you don't trust numbers <laughs> or, or or mountains. Yeah. Both of which you can't trust. So an accountant on the top of the hill is my worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, Shep, who was the first person to summit Everest? Edmund Hillary. Yes. Yes. Well, we need refer- to cover this yeah. because this, this was fucking mental. This work. was, but it also triggers my uh, my Western centric view of the world. Because <laughs> yeah, it's true because he's a Westerner. He? Yeah, it's, but No, go on, you you carry on. I'm just gonna say, I thought so. Obviously, like I mentioned, everyone who climbs Everest has a lot of help from Sherpas. Were they still doing it back then? Cause surely, surely some of them would have climbed it first. Yeah, so this is the thing, right. Was he just the first Westerner? So I think the proper record is that Sir Edmund Hillary, like you said, and Tenzig Norgay, mm. his Sherpa, yeah. were the first confirmed summit of Everest. Okay. Because like you said, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure the Indigenous population, someone will have done it before him. But because they weren't Western, it wasn't recorded, it doesn't count. Yeah, a bit like... Guinness Book of Records needs to be ratified. Yeah, a it's, it's a bit like when people say that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas. Yeah. He didn't. People have been living there for thousands yeah. of years. People, he was, people knew about it. He was just the first white person to yeah. rock up there. He, he popularised them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so Sir Edmund Hillary, like you said. But a bit like we were saying last week with the Commandos and their mental feats of, of endurance, Right. the equipment available to, to him, what year was it? 1953. Right, 1953. The same year as... Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, I think. Can't imagine Garmin were very well known around around that time. No, you? you can't, can you? But the other thing that needs to be established as well is we th- see this is the, this is a British thing, isn't it? We're very quick to adopt people. Yeah. So sure. like Andy Murray is a good example of this. He's yeah. Scottish, but when he's winning, he's, 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 Brit- <laughs> he's British, and when and when he's losing, he's Scottish. Yeah, that's true. So Sir Edmund Hillary was a Kiwi. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's doing. not. He's not technically a Brit. <laughs> But because he, he was the first person to climb Everest, yeah. he is a Brit. Yeah. Should he have died up there, he would have remained a Key with yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 literally. So it's like that. Yeah, but, so, so, this was the other thing that struck me as well. Like 1953, in the grand scheme of history, isn't that long ago, which I think highlights what an impressive achievement it actually is because it true. took someone so long to do it. So, are you aware how long people were trying before that happened? Must yeah, have been so, a length of time. so we'll get on to this, but a famous British climber slash adventurer called George Mallory mm. attempted it in the 20s and he died it. during his attempt. Oh, okay, cool, got it. So, so, so I think it's probably more of a 20th century phenomena because I think for so long people just thought it was impossible. That's probably true. and Yeah, they probably didn't have any... Why, why would you try and climb it? Well, exactly. So... In those in the times before, certainly like nineteen hundred, um, you're probably looking at things on a different scale. You're not looking at how can what how can we like explore things? You're looking at where are the fucking resources and how can we make it most efficient to live day to day? Yeah. You don't look at the biggest mountain and think, right, you know, I need I need some I need some food today. I wonder if you're up there. Do you, <laughs> yeah. do you think this quest for like do you not just think this, this Everest phenomena is like almost a symptom of like empire and colonialism in the needing to like the idea that you've got to conquer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like the indigenous population I've said, like the Sherpa community, have lived there for thousands of years. And they were probably aware of it. Some of them probably climbed it. But there wasn't that burning desire to like stick a flag at the top of it. Yeah, true. Do you know and it I mean? still isn't for the Sherpas. No. The Sherpas don't give a fuck. They do it all the time. It's just that like Weird kind of Western mentality of like everything's got to be conquered. Yeah, you need need to step everywhere. Yeah, map everything. And it's it's got to um, belong to someone. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, I, and I guess there's the the big thing about records and challenging yourself as well, which is a, a privilege. So for the West, for the indigenous population, they probably didn't have the privilege of thinking, you know, what I'm gonna try and do. I'm gonna I'm gonna do. I'm gonna climb Everest for status because. They're just worried about how to fucking get to get to tomorrow, and then feed themselves and get to the next day. Um, yeah, it's you know, not. They're, 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 it's not really on their on their list of pro, on their to do list. Yeah, because if we look you know at I mean? Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, to bring a sociological term to yeah. the fray, yeah. it ego isn't really up there, is it? No, you know, exactly. It's like basic sustenance, survival, yeah, reproduction. You conquering. A fucking big hill, it isn't isn't really gonna wash, is it? You True. know, when your kids need feeding. Yeah, I don't think it was probably on their uh, their to do list in the in the nineteen nineteen hundreds, was it? You know, you know, feed feed your kids, go hunting, climb stride. Yeah, do that, do that later. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, so yeah, I think it's, it is a massively Western thing, and it is a privilege I think that that isn't afforded to much of the world, and that's why that's part of the reason I'd imagine why there's so. Well the number who the number of people who actually climbed it is, is so minimal. Yeah. Still. Well, speaking of people that climbed Everest, yep. let's now discuss some of the notable figures that have conquered the mountain okay. or have attempted to, should we say. Yeah. So we obviously we'll start with George Mallory, mm. if we go kind of like chronologically. Oh my he was probably the first uh famous westerner to attempt to, to climb attempt it. it. So he Do you was, know where he got to? Yes. Uh he went missing. Right. So no one knows where he got to. <laughs> So he was like the Bear Grylls of the 1920s, Fucking to, con- to contextualise it. Yeah. Uh, and he attempted Everest in 1922, but went missing. And his body body was only discovered in 1999. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. That's so mad. to this day, no one knows if he managed to summit Everest, because his camera was never found. Oh, shit. So he theoretically he could have been might been the first, yeah. the first, but because his camera was never found, he could go his way down. We don't know if it was during his ascent or his descent. No, that's mad. Yeah, so I didn't I didn't realize that he, it took it took them so long to find his body. I wonder. But the, the, the preservation of bodies on Everest, obviously because it's so yeah, cold, yeah, fascinates me. That's true. Because that's it's, that's one of the really harrowing things, apparently, about climbing. It is that you're in the queue, or whatever, to go up. And just left them right, you know. You there are corpses. See corpses, and they, they look like they've just passed away because they're, well, they're, they're in a really massive. Preserved. They're in a massive freezer. Yeah, they're in, Well, they're in a massive freezer, uh, and they're they're probably dressed in fluorescent clothing, so probably you probably can't miss them. Yeah, well, exactly. So, like, they cut the lot. Like, I don't know. Their clothing might experience some like color degrading over time, but yeah. like their actual corpse is like perfectly preserved, no, that's it's, like frozen not. in time. It's horrible it must be so fu- so fucked to see when you're fucking hanging out at the top of Everest yeah we're just, pure, as, pure just d- as you enter the death zone yeah, pure digging out just to survive yeah. the last thing you want to see is fucking someone that's just snuffed it basically yeah, you know what I mean exactly that. In, in the 1920s yeah uh, so that was George Mallory he died unfortunately uh, we'll talk about the other guy that we've already mentioned as well Bear Grylls yes I'll, I'll let you do that. I won't do this justice because <laughs> you've got the passion to go along to go along with the story. So. Yeah, so the youngest ever, youngest Brit to uh, climb Everest. So I, I don't think they classed Edmund Hillary as a, as a Brit. Uh, or they might have done, but he would have been older, I guess. So yeah, the youngest Brit at the age of 23 that Bear Girls climbed or summited Everest. This was post-SF selection and his SF career. So to give you a little bit of background, he went into the Special Forces Reserves and then upon breaking his back in a few places on a skydive when his parachute didn't open like skydives before. Um, his parachute didn't open and then his reserve I think was fucked as well somehow, so he hit the ground at some speed broke his back, was out for literally 18 months, as in bed bound for 18 months while he recovered obviously he was then out of the special forces because he couldn't do the job or he left, one of the two and his next goal, so he was recovering in bed, at home this was when he was like 21, 22 and it, all through his childhood he's his dad and him had talked about something in everest and they uh they had everest as a poster on their wall and he was lying in bed for 18 months staring at this everest poster trying to figure out his next challenge and it just obviously penny drops and he thought well you know what fuck it i'm gonna try that so then he trained did all his qualification whatever whatever you have to do for it and he's obviously quite well off uh, in terms of finances so the money probably wasn't that much of an issue to raise. You've got to raise quite a lot of capital to raise a, to climb Everest. I know yeah, we'll we'll talk about. Yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Back it, then it was about ten grand. I I've, think I've got the nausea stats. Yeah, now it's probably more. So he he went up and he actually, I don't think going up was obviously it was an issue. It wasn't too much of a of a problem. He didn't get from what he from his account in his book. He didn't get that that many near death experiences. I think the weather wasn't too unkind to them. But on the way down was when they had a few kind of. Um pendulums through the the crevasses and stuff. So, when I think it was Bear Grylls himself or or his climbing partner, one of the two were 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 negotiating one of these crevasses. Yeah. Um, where you have to do via Jacob's ladder and some other stuff, and some wind or some snowstorm hit and blew him off this ladder into the middle of the crevasse. Obviously, he's, he's roped on, but because he, you can imagine you got the ladder and then the rope when he fell off the rope kind of tightened and acted as a pendulum uh, and then yeah. pendulum into the side of the um, the crevasse and so he, he almost died in that in that yeah. moment that was on the way down uh, and then a few other bits and bobs happened but he got down i think pretty all right but he, he was the youngest yeah the youngest brit to to summit it and then following that was his kind of introduction into the showbiz world and and he got his first TV show off the back of it. Yeah, so this was in May nineteen ninety eight, a month before I was born, and like you said, it was virtually eighteen months to the yeah. to the day after he broke his back, which is to. That is mad, isn't it? That's a that's a glow up. That is that is a fucking glow up. Yeah, um, especially considering the amount you'd have to carry up Everest. Yeah, and having a, a back injury would be, you know, completely limiting to that. So, so moving on from Bear Grylls, we've got. Michael Matthews, Mm -hmm. who, unfortunately... So, if you don't know who Michael Matthews is, it's the older brother of Spencer Spencer Matthews Matthews of Made in Chelsea fame. Yeah. Who, again, this is another contentious one, because would have been the youngest person to summit Everest. Brit, surely. Brit, yeah. Yeah. If he didn't die... So, this is weird. So, he summited Everest... But then he died on his descent. But it's yeah, so it doesn't count, I guess. It, but that's a massive down. kick in the face, isn't is it? it? Yeah, it is. because it's like, similar to, so I liken it to like, the Victoria Cross winners. So you can't you can't say oh yeah you smashed it there you did a really good job you're gonna win a Victoria Cross but, you died so you don't get it yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that'd like, be fucking savage. So this is this is, an int- really interesting story actually. There's a good documentary on Disney Plus now that came out a few months ago. Uh which is actually Bear Grylls is one of the executive producers on it. Uh which kind of charts the the story of Spencer trying to locate his brother's body on Everest yeah. to bring it down to kind of give the family closure. Yeah. It's worth a watch if you're interested in uh in Everest or, or just people really, because it's good it's a good story. Yeah. But it's yeah, it just kind of—it really brought home to me how fucking harsh Everest is. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's life and death. It's mental. So the um, so this is my theory, and backed up by what I read in Bear Girls book, that the way down is actually more. Dangerous and perilous than the way up. Yeah. So the way up is obviously where everyone thinks fucking hell. You know, you're climbing Everest. You get, that summit is at the forefront of your mind. You've got that driving you on. You know, you've got all this, all this motivation to get to the top. So when you get to the top, that kind of dissipates a little bit. And and if you're not careful, you switch off. Yeah. And so you're not really all on your game because you're like, yes, we've smashed it. Now we can relax. We've hit the hit the summit. But actually, you're still in the death zone, and you still have to descend. At, Fucking ridiculous amount matter of, amount of dis, di, distance with whatever the conditions are going to throw at you. You know to, to negotiate. So and like, yeah, and obviously, like on your way down, you've been starved of oxygen for the longest period of time. That's true as well. Yeah. So like yeah, your yeah. judgment is just all over the place. Well, that true story on the Everest film, just called Everest. The the way down is where they fuck it. Yeah. Right. It? yeah. They, Spoiler alert! That's where the shit is. The fan. Yeah, because they um they get to the top and then shit is the fan. But so. I think, in, in all mountaineering, I guess it's probably a, a, a known, known thing that the way down is probably more perilous than the way up, which you wouldn't really consider at face value, would you? No, but yeah, i definitely recommend that Michael Matthews documentary. I think it's called uh, Finding Michael. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, so it's good, that one. Moving on, the next person I've got in brackets as the greatest climber ever Okay. So I'll let you be the judge of this. I don't know if you're aware of them. Again, I'll probably pronounce his name incorrectly. Uh, it's an Italian bloke called Reinhold Messner. I am aware. You yes, will, you will have just, heard yeah, of what he'd done. I am aware right, of So him, yeah. I'll just explain. So in 1978, this guy became the first person to climb Everest without supplementary oxygen. Yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. Because for a long time, people thought that was impossible. Yeah, a bit like the four-minute mile. Yeah. You know, it was just like... It was like brushed aside as you can't do that. You can't do that because you will just die. Yeah. So as if that wasn't impressive enough he then went back two years later climbed it again without oxygen uh, by a, via a completely different route that he'd created himself via the north face. Yeah. So he like created it, his own route. Normally yeah. you summit Everest from the south Yeah. and I don't think anyone had ever summited it from the north before. He did it on his own with no oxygen. With no oxygen. That's fucking insane. So yeah if you don't know what why you need supplementary oxygen or what that kind of does to you essentially you get starved of so oxygen becomes very thin at altitude um, and humans aren't very efficient at utilising that, that thinner oxygen and so having supplementary oxygen access to that means that when you start to become lightheaded or when you start to get that um, altitude sickness you could have some fresh oxygen that's obviously captured at, um, at sort of sea level and and you can sustain yourself for a certain amount of time. It doesn't. It's obviously not foolproof. You couldn't stay up there for indefinitely, but um, it sort of sustains you a little bit. So not having that would mean essentially when you enter the death zone, you are on a, on a ticking time bomb. Really. So you've got like the clock starts now. You've got probably I don't know how long it would be, but it wouldn't be that long until you start to really really shut down. And so you're the race is on. Basically, when you over, when you get over to eight thousand meters. To summit the summit the top and then come back down through the desert. I couldn't like so I don't have the greatest understanding of mountaineering. Mm. But when I heard about this bloke, I thought he's got to be a genetic freak. Death wish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Uh, yeah, and doing it on your own, unaided, is is another thing as well. Because like we said, the vast majority of people who summit it do it with Sherpas' help, with the yeah. Sherpas' help. So I'm pretty sure he had a climbing partner, but he didn't have a Sherpa. Like he was it's crazy, effectively flying solo in that regard, which is just. Mental. Well, the amount of stuff you'd have to lug up. Like This this bloke has literally gone off-piste yeah. on Everest. <laughs> That's bizarre. That's fucking, fucking mad, isn't it? Fair play. All right, moving on. Ranulph Fiennes, mm. another famous yeah. British explorer. See, the, 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 when I was researching this podcast, I like it because there's a lot of interconnectivity with the climbing community. Yeah, prob- I imagine there is, especially at that level. So an, another person surfaces in this, which we'll get on to. <laughs> so Ranulph Fiennes, if anyone doesn't know, I mean, he's getting a bit old now. Yeah, he so was. he's kind of like he was the Bear Grylls of his day, of his day, yeah. wasn't he? Before so, mainstream television, probably the greatest British adventurer of all time. Uh, he's the first person to cover all of a, all of Antarctica on foot. <laughs> first person to reach the North and South Pole by surface means. So just walking. Yeah, so this bloke basically <laughs> just walked around the North and South Pole for fun, which is fucking mental. <laughs> uh, and in two thousand and nine, he summited Everest at the age of sixty five. Fucking hell, that is madness. Yeah, sixty five 65 years of my dad's. My dad's sixty six. Right, so, he, so sending my dad So, so next year, well, last year Ian summited Everest. Yeah, that's mad. That is <laughs> um, fair play. That's that's crazy, and he, he's one of the household names in that community. Though. Yeah, so he's a nutter. Uh, moving on to kind of the the new kid on the block, Nims Perger, mm. who who is yeah, You should have seen this if you. The first interested. kind of local should we say, to make the list, because we've just covered Westerners so far. Yeah, yeah, true. So for anyone that doesn't know Nims, we'll be discussing him a lot more next week in our Gurkha episode as well. So he's a former Gurkha officer in the British Army, also then went to Special Forces. SAS? No, SBS, SBS. but then fucking passed up the invitation of joining the SAS to pursue his own climbing ambitions. Fucking hell invitation to join the SF. Yeah, that's mad. So he became the first Gurkha to join, well, pass SF selection. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. So this bloke has basically got accolades coming out of his arse. Yeah. It was hard hard to condense them down. Yeah, I was going to say, you'd be up there for a long time if you are introducing him at a dinner. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) virtually. And and then he he went on to do his big project, I guess, of the last five, ten years. Was to try and break this record, where the fourteen peaks on over eight thousand meters. So all yeah. the, all the peaks they're over the, in, inside the death zone. Yeah. He, the the pre-standing record. If you got it there, just so it's accurate. It was a year, wasn't it? It was two. I think it was yeah, over yeah, a year it, anyway. Which, if you think about it, is impressive. It's impressive and, and makes a lot of sense because just the logistics of that in of itself. The logistics. So how long it takes to get up and down. The taxes it'll take on your body, and the total take on your on your body and mind going that far into the death zone and back out. You know, when you go, <laughs> when you go up and down in an aeroplane, it takes fucking it takes a bit out of you because yeah. you've been through that pressure change or whatever it is. Um, so doing that on foot over a prolonged period and coming down and going back up again and going down back up again fourteen times takes about yeah. Why, why wouldn't it take over a year? Nim's decided to, yeah, let's break that record. But we won't just break it, we'll fucking nail it. So what did he do in? Six months, six days. (laughs) Right, six months and six days. Bear in mind, there's 14 peaks. So that's over one a month. Yeah, that's that's fucking crazy. I think he was up and down Everest in eight days. (laughs) You've got to bear in mind, probably played to his advantage though, him being very conditioned to that. that (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously he is kind of Nepalese, so he grew up... Well, that, but acclimatized also... to that atmosphere. Yeah, during those six months, he will, he probably didn't come back... Oh, yeah, yeah, ...close yeah. to sea level, probably, because he was trying to keep himself... Yeah. ...good but to go. Contextualise that. It's going to take us seven days to record this, edit it, and get it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. It makes it sound fucking... Yeah, stupid. you're <laughs> absolute wetters, <Yeah>. mate. <laughs> uh, and then another accolade. So, obviously, that is impressive, the 14 Peaks and Netflix... Uh, did a documentary called 14, called 14 Peaks, which again is definitely worth a watch. Yeah, that's brilliant. Nice. Uh, and then in 2021, uh, he and his team completed the first ever winter ascent of K2. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So the first person, because obviously the climbing season is quite a narrow period yeah. in the Himalayas from like, is it like spring? Yeah, I think so. But that's why um, you you get people. Because it's all to do with weather conditions, isn't it? Because yeah, you're it's... kind of at the behest of the weather. Where you are, and, and even in the even in the season, the weather can turn, and yeah. it can be unclimbable. You you get you get it kind of um, comes down the pipe, the pipeline to be unclimbable today. You can't 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 ascend. You so, got to go back to base camp, start so, again. So he just thought, fucking chin that off. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna do it in the winter. I'm play with my own rules, just like I did when I joined the SF as a first Gurker. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, this bloke just, just fucking breaking glass ceilings. Everyone right centre. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and now, obviously, because he's like the fucking the shit up bloke hmm. in mountaineering at the moment. Like, I think he's the most expensive operator on Everest. Yeah. You know, in terms of running expeditions and stuff. And if you look at pho- recent photos of base camp and stuff, he's fucking. It, it might. He might as well run base camp basically. He basically, he basically made Everest his brand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's class. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. So that's Nims. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about him a lot more. Next in week. Next week in the Gurkha episode. But finally, just to seal off our list of kind of notable people who've climbed Everest, Kenton Cool. Kenton Cool, yeah. He might not be known as widely as the other people, mm. but he's an interesting bloke. Go on. So he's a professional mountaineer. Yeah. I think he's got 17 Everest summits to his name, okay. which is class. That's, like, yeah. that's fucking men 17 times. That is crazy. Yeah. Uh, Give me the rest. <laughs> so, basically, this is what I like about him, right? He's basically just made up his own rules. So, he res- he runs bespoke Everest Expeditions every year. Mm. He only works with one person a year. Fuck off. Yeah. He has one client that's a year. Fast. So, you can imagine how much he's charging these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And his company is called In Cool Company. <laughs> that's sick. That's sick, isn't it? Basically, is this cool. bloke just, again, plays by his own rules. Yeah, I love it. that's brilliant. Only having one client a year. I know some fitness professionals who do that. You know, there's... Um there's a online coach, right? And his top package for online coaching is forty grand a year. That's class. <laughs> that's mental. When it. you get to the stage when you can charge that kind of money, forty grand. What's he providing for forty grand a year? Fucking blowjobs. though. yeah. But Bo- <laughs> box scanning. <You're> the- <laughs> <laughs> and we're back again. We've got to get it, in. We've had message discipline. Yeah, so we got to. We got to get a box grand in there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's just mad. Anyway. Yeah, one client a year is, is pretty good. That that probably diminish a lot of stress for you, wouldn't it? You only got to deal with one person every year. Yeah, <laughs> that's sound. It's class. And he actually ran. Rannell finds expedition oh, in so two thousand and nine. Cool. So you got that. You got that. Uh, interconnection in too, there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he's like when when arguably the greatest British adventurer of all time is coming to you for hell Yeah. You, you know you've kind of squared away your niche, haven't you? Yeah. This is the thing I always think. Uh, Everest is a little bit unpredictable. Into a little bit, so very, oh, very unpredictable. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna go up 17 times, you're playing with the, playing with the devil a little bit, aren't you? Yeah, you can only play with fire so many times until you get burned. Well, yeah. this is the thing: and these people are are severely <laughs> tapped in the head if they think they're gonna gonna be able to like go up 20 plus times and not, and something not go wrong. It's just it's it's mad that probability of like he's looked out there really, hasn't he? Yeah, like yeah you that's said, so the, far. Like, the probability of something going wrong on one of those expeditions, and I'm sure it has, but, like, just the fact that he's not died or been seriously because injured of that, yeah, because yeah, yeah. of it is, like, he's won the lottery, effectively. Yeah. That's mad. Fair play. Uh, so, moving on slightly, let's get onto the fact that Everest now is a major tourist attraction. Yeah. Let me cover one more, one more notable mention. Oh, oh yeah, okay, um, forgot that. Yeah, to, so we've got you, you. You've got to do your echo chamber, just <laughs> not something. He's not that far <laughs> in my echo chamber. He's, not, he's on the outskirts. He needs to do a few more. Things. He, he don't not, get, get Mike's he, He's here. not in the circle of trust yet. <laughs> <is> he? <laughs> he's not in the circle, jerk. Yeah, anyway, um, <laughs> it's Ant Milton, uh, the famed SAS operative. SPS yeah. SBS operative I think. of Walter Mitty fame. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that, that that clip that we uh. That was class. Um, that clip that yeah so mentioned. he's from SAS who wins it's going to be his major exploit Him himself and Ed Wardle was his uh, climbing partner they summited Everest on the 14th of May 2018 for a documentary that went live uh, in 2018 right camera wrapped its tits in again moving forward we're going to have to come up with a solution to this because I'm fed up of being cut off mid-flow by a piece of technology yeah, but well, in the interim there, we just ordered another camera battery, so <laughs> we right hot on its heels. So park that thought. But anyway, Shep, you are explaining about our friend Aunt Middleton. Yes, so I just read something in, in the paper, I guess, well, the web page for the paper. Don't read the paper. Um, yeah, he essentially was filming for, I think, six weeks or four to six weeks non-stop, so cameras on his face all day, he's, like, adhering to a strict schedule all day. And he got a break where the weather window basically wasn't there, so that the weather was it took a turn. Um, and they couldn't climb, so they, they couldn't film either. And in the in the interim, he left his camera crew in tents on base camp or whatever. And then him and his climbing partner just fucked off this five star luxury resort, um, and just got pissed basically all week till two A. M. So in the in the interview he did with this this journalist, he was like, Yeah, Basically, um, I spent five, I spent fifteen hundred quid getting a helicopter to pick me up, uh, and go to this luxury hotel, and then just got pissed till two a.m. every night. That's and class. Then, and then with a hangover, went back on the same helicopter to meet him, meet his fucking meet his camera crew and cracked on with the with the filming. Yeah, he did. He's not really executed a hearts and minds operation there, has no, he? No, what he has done is he's brought the the bootneck mentality into Everest Everest climb. Yeah, if you can't do it with a hangover. You can't do it. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's an official record. <laughs> Trust. The only one, the only yeah. person to summit Everest with a with, hangover with a certain blood alcohol percentage. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, he, he did that, and the, the next bit of the story, I guess, is is the summit. So past uh, the death zone, he he got to the summit, and then. The weather, as is customary for fucking Everest Climbs, took an absolute turn for the worst um, and it was one of the worst snowstorms they'd had on there for years. But there was a big group of ten climbers that, that were really quite inexperienced. They were getting led up by a Sherpa that were in front of them. So they'd summited, turned round and come back and then Aunt Milton and his mate had summited, come, round, come down behind them. And still in the death zone, this snowstorm erupted and basically blocked... Their path almost, or they created a new complication in the fact they had to negotiate the weather. Then there was a big blockage in the in the in the path, and so they were climbing down. And essentially, the person in front of Ant basically wrapped his in So long, he, like like a camera. camera, but rather than overheating, he he almost froze. <laughs> so <laughs> he actually did the opposite. opposite. Yeah. So uh, he it was pretty much just he signed out basically, checked out of life, and then. Uh, and Middleton was there, like, well, I can't fucking go round you because they're all obviously, yeah, uh, on a on a line, they're they're like on a fixed line, on, on a rope. So he's like, I can't go fucking round you. So he basically, was waiting for this bloke in front of him, whilst he's in the middle of this sandstorm, sandstorm, snowstorm, pretty much freezing to death. And he was like, he basically thought he was gonna die. He he, he almost sat down and thought, well, that's it now, Mad. job done. Uh, and then eventually, the the guy managed to square himself away and start moving, but yeah but am I'm, I'm, and his mate almost died on their uh, on their immediate descent well that brings us nicely onto the next section of the podcast which is everest now being a tourist hotspot, because yes. congestion is an issue on everest now there are yeah. there are literal queues to summit everest it's crazy Have you've seen the photos yeah, of some, some of the years it's, it's mental mad. so obviously now everyone everyone wants to summit everest For it's become notoriety. i say it's become more affordable it hasn't really. Yeah. It's still very elitist. Has he got the prices? But if you've got the money, you can do it now. You have got the price list. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this this came from an interview with Kenton Cool, who we were talking about earlier, and he said minimum cost now is about thirty five thousand dollars. I heard, yeah, about grand. But but like the like the upper end of that scale is almost limitless. Yeah. Because okay. if you because a lot as we were saying, like NIMS is now probably the most expensive operator on the mountain, and I wouldn't even want to know. How, much, much, he how much he charges. Well, this is it. And if you're... So, the less experienced you are, and, you know, on the scale, the more wealthy and less experienced you are, I reckon there's probably a never-ending amount of money you can spend to bulletproof your ascent, basically. Yeah, because someone like Nims has then got to cost in to the... Cost in for the fact that you are a burden. Insurance. Yeah. You've probably got to put, like, man-mark you with Sherpas. Effective, yeah, you're... <laughs> yeah. Other than yeah. you... It, it, it gets to the point where you, all you've got to do is put one foot in front of the other. That's what it is. Because everyone else like. is doing... Like, the Sherpas are carrying all of your shit. Everything. They're, you, they're telling you where to go. They're, they're literally telling you when to breathe because yeah. they're telling you when you need oxygen. Yeah, well, they literally do for a lot of the, the climbers who aren't experienced mountaineers. And there's a, a, quite a stigma, I think, around that from the mountaineering community because it's a bit like well you've now you've done no fucking well you've done minimal prep yeah Uh, we've been prepping for this for our fucking whole lives and you're just in front of but you've just yeah you've thrown a lot of money it's a problem problem, yeah Yeah. so but but see the Nepalese government are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because they now issue more permits for Everest than ever yeah and they can't really stop doing yeah. that because it contributes so much to the economy I bet. but it's, I mean, incre- it's the number one thing right yeah it was quite it's got to be up there it's one of the most it's a, it's a very impoverished nation it's not rich by any stretch of the imagination i think it generates about half a billion dollars annually to the nepalese economy really yeah yeah it's got to be a big percentage does not it yeah it's a mental and i think the average monthly wage for a Sherpa is about well, they make about two thousand dollars per expedition, and the average monthly wage in Nepal is about two hundred. So it's massive it's so it's in- sense, incredibly it? lucrative to the local population. Yeah, compared. So, so it's like you think as well, right? Two grand a month to fucking basically risk your life on Everest is goshing it. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it. <laughs> terrible. It's not really you're not really getting danger pay for that are you? Yeah, not really. Uh, and considering the Western guides are getting probably hundreds of thousands for doing it. Yeah, well it's you think like shitty. Kenton Cools working with one client a year. Well, that's it, yeah. And he's not going to pay himself less than about like six figures is he? No, he's really. not 100% of Yeah. And obviously that factoring in all of the expenses, so he'll be paying the Sherpa, he'll be paying for the insurance, for the guide and all that sort of stuff. But um, but this is the thing with Sherpas, right, they are really the forgotten heroes. They're the unsung awesome Mant- heroes. They are because no one really gives them credit which is why we're going to cover kind of the Sherpa as an ethnic group and then lead into the Gurkhas yeah. ne- next week because we, yeah. we need to do them justice. It, it, it segues quite nicely, doesn't it? Yeah. But the Sherpas are, was it a tribe? So, so it, people guess... refer to Sherpas as like the guys that carry shit on a mountain here in Expedition, but yeah. they are technically also like an ethnic group yeah, of yeah, that region. Yeah. Um, but that, I think they're, obviously, Gurkhas are drawn from Nepal, but they're also heavily drawn from the Sherpa community, I think. So the um, but yeah, Sherpas are the unsung heroes of, of Everest, certainly because the Westerners that climb it are wet Well, basically don't fucking um carry anything. No, the Sherpas carry everything. So, and so, if essentially if one of the because the, they because of how their um culture works, if they're ever in like a bit of a hot hot spot, a cold spot, Everest, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the Westerner basically is fucked and has just not done his admin, so his feet are falling off or his fucking, I don't know, oxygen isn't full enough. The Sherpa will then put themselves in a hole to save the Westerner. Happens yeah. all the time where the Sherpa's got full oxygen because they're squared away. And then they'll go, they they give it or they'll share it with, with the Westerner who's yeah, fucked it. That's or who's overusing oxygen because they're uh, unfit or whatever. That then carries over into uh, being a Gurkha. Right, excuse that fucking <laughs> yeah. noise, will you? The fucking ice cream, <laughs> that the local pedos about. Yeah, uh, right, God. Yeah, but that, that then also carries over into being a Gurkha because they've got so many VC. Yeah, that's true. Awards. Yeah, which doesn't come by accident. No, exactly. But anyway, we won't touch on that too much. But to give you a, a, an idea for the amount of load that Sherpas have to carry on these expeditions, so people have been starting to do research into this now, mm. as it comes to like just how nails Sherpas are. So I think on average Sherpas carry around fifty kilos worth of kit. Locking on like probably not you know for the actual summit, but you know like up to base camp etc. Fifty kilos, which is still high altitude. Yeah, so to contextualise that, right? The hobby, the heaviest, the heaviest yomp you do in training, that's like a set weight. Obviously on exercise you carry what you need to carry. Is seventy pounds? That's over twelve miles. I was fucking. I was hanging out on that, yeah. 70 pounds is about 37 kilos or whatever it is, yeah. and uh, that feels that feels and heavy. That felt heavy as fuck, mate. So, apparently, the average Sherpa weighs between 55 and 65 kilos, so they're carrying like 90% of their body weight. That's absurd, especially in that altitude, that, that, yeah. that altitude and that gradient. Yeah, well, so this not is just walking flat. Are you? Th- this is the thing that, like. This is what makes Sherpas so suited to this line of work, obviously because they're from the area anyway. Mm. So they're adapted to basically... Climatise. Yeah, they're much better at working with limited oxygen. Yeah, because they're use, Because they're used to it. Yeah, they're, they're much more efficient at harvesting oxygen. What I'd love to see is um, someone who'd been a Sherpa for a long time to then come over to like some like, western state... And be put through a training camp of like running or something. Well, Nim, see how Nims fast they fucking go. Nims probably fucking pissed. SF selection, didn't he? True. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> he was pissed on oxygen. I saw there so got, much of it. Yeah. Well, you get cyclists and stuff going to altitude for a period of time to train because it's harder, and then coming back down and effectively blood doping. I'd love to see that. How how effective that would be having spent eighty ninety percent of your life in that 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 altitude. Yeah. Um, no, like but yeah, see. but Sherpa's definitely the unsung heroes of Everest, and we'll touch on them a lot more next, next week. I'm yeah. excited for that episode. But I've covered everything that I've got on my prep regarding Everest. I was just going to run through a few resources mm. that I came across. Have you got anything else you want to add? Uh, there's only one more person, really, I thought of. Uh you aware of Brian Blessed? Yes, there he is. Yeah. Fuck off, Z Club. He's a serial Everest summiter. I, You're I don't know if he's summited, but he's definitely been up there a lot. Yeah, he's like the big mountain fucking gorilla, isn't he? Um, Again, some of the some of the people our age might not know who Brian Blessed is, but uh, I'm yeah. sure if you Google him, yeah. you will have come across him on TV and stuff. Before. I would YouTube him because he's a, he's at his best in an interview setting. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so so yeah. he's very bombastic, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's a he's a great character. Um, but yeah, he's been up Everest. Loads of times, and he'll, he'll often in his interview actually give due credit to Sherpas, he's quite good with that. Yeah, I like thing. that. I like the fact that he's gobbing off about Everest as well. Because yeah, if you've yeah. done it, you might as well gob yeah, off about you've it. You've got to make it your brand, don't I mean, you? Just like Nims, no, that's class. Um, I had no idea about that. No, respect no, respect yeah. to Brian Blessed for that. He's a big fucking lad, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a unit, but he's quite he's quite strong, I think, in the conventional sense, like in powerlifting. Yeah, sense. he's got monkey strength, a bit like me. Bit like you, Maybe yeah, I'm yeah. suited to Everest, I don't know. Yeah, probably. I'm op- you're scared of mountains. I'm ginger, so I operate well in the cold. True, true. Uh, you just need to regain your trust for mountains. <laughs> I just need to overcome my rational fear of, uh, of large peaks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, so Brian Blessed, shout. No, uh, love that. Well, that's a wrap on Everest we will finish with our usual segment of reasons to be cheerful Yeah, I'm not going to lie we were scraping the barrel a bit this week weren't we we were a little bit we were struggling to, me to find something Quite a lot of doom and gloom yeah. about this week for some and reason I don't know really if our reason to be cheerful is a, is a reason to be cheerful I think the doom and gloom to be honest comes from the fact that we were heavily sedated yesterday yeah um, we, so, so we, we were operating we, on Minimal yeah, we've, we've staged an intervention for ourselves, we, we're going to curb drinking for a bit, which yeah. may or may not involve moving to Australia, but we'll keep you posted on that. We'll keep you posted, and uh, now it's out on the fucking internet, so we've got to... <laughs> yeah, it and that. now I've said it, we have to do it, yeah, so yeah. thanks to the listeners for that. Right, so the reason to be cheerful this week, and again, we'll caveat that with, it might not be a reason to be cheerful, <laughs> but it's, it's the best we've got to work with, is Luton Town's promotion to the Premier League. Yeah, which is mental when you consider where they've come from. Yeah. And this will link nicely into an episode we're going to do in a few weeks' time. We won't ruin that. Um, but where we're covering this topic more often. So if, you, if you're into into football, let us know. But, um, yeah, I mean, their promotion, was it Saturday the game? Yeah, so for yeah. anyone that doesn't know, they won the Championship Playoff Final, which grants them promotion to the league above, which is the Premier League. They beat Coventry 6-5 on penalties. Yeah. That was well, a I mean, good penalty shootout, that wasn't it. It was a good penalty shootout, but the game wasn't vintage. Left a lot to be desired. It, it did, yeah. I'm not looking forward to their their vintage football in the Premier League next year. No, I'm not sure how they Well, this is this is kind of why it's a reason to be cheerful because it's such a, a large underdog story. Yeah. Yeah, well they were you said there were nine not non league nine years ago? Non league nine years ago, yeah. Kenilworth Road, their ground, is gonna have to have ten million spent on it just to bring it. To Premier League standards, because I think say. at the moment it holds about ten thousand, yeah. and to access the away end, you actually have to go through the alleyway of a terraced, a row of terraced housing. That is crazy. So the away end, so, yeah. so where like all the city fans are going to be. Yeah, so there. you That's go, class. so you go through the alleyway and then up the stairs to the stand, and then you can just kind of peer over into people's like extensions and stuff there. But well, I don't want people from Manchester doing that? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, it's a reason to be cheerful because of the underdog story, really. Uh, and the fact that they were, well, they were underdogs for that game as well, really, for the um, the final. Yeah, they were. Because Coventry have been good all year. Yeah, well, Coventry, historically, a much bigger club as well. Mm. So, if you were going on kind of pedigree, you would assume that Coventry, and esteem, and esteem yeah. you'd assume that Coventry would, would win. Well, there was only a penalty shootout, fucking... Accurate penalties. we were we were watching it, trying to guess which way people were going to go. We, we were guessing like, oh, yeah, he's going to miss, he's going to miss. Yeah, all uh, uh, of them scored. Our uh, in a Paul the Octopus didn't come through. Yeah, for the penalty shootout. Yeah, it only it only works in in the podcast setting. Yeah, yeah, we we yeah. learned. Yeah, we need to be recording for that. But I'm I'm excited for next season's prem. Speaking of, uh, Paul the Octopus. Right, go on. What's your prediction for how they're going to perform next year in the prem? Well, I think we should cover. Our extensive predictions in uh, okay, cool. the the episode yeah. that is on the horizon. Yes. So what we've got planned for a few weeks time after the Champions League final. Yeah, we're well, we're gonna finish. Defin- we're gonna wait definitively until the end of the season, yeah. and then we're gonna do kind of like uh, an end of war- uh, an end of season awards ceremony. Uh, we're gonna do basically our review of the season uh, and give out kind of our own little. Our own little versions of like most improved player and uh, yeah, it's like gonna be the standard <laughs> awards. We're gonna we're gonna give some, we're gonna add some Bromley Brothers niche to it. Yeah, because we have some quite uh polarizing football and opinions, so we want to share them with you. <laughs> right. But yeah, there'll be some serious awards. There'll be some not so serious awards. Staying very on brand as is customary, as is customary. But yeah, stay tuned for that. So that will be out the week following the Champions League yeah. final. Yeah. Uh, so again, if you're into football, look forward to that. But yeah, yeah reason to be cheerful, Luton Town in the Premier League next year uh, with their stadium that holds, how many How many does it hold? 10,000. 10,000 10, Which people. is fuck all. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so so if you're giving like 15% to the away team, they have 1,500 people. Yeah. That's fuck all. That's, that's mental. Think of the fan base of like Chelsea and uh, Man City and you'd only be able to take fucking Um, 1500 to the the games I mean at least it's provided if nothing else it's providing the people of Luton some nice respite from the fact that they live in an absolute hole (laughs) yeah Yeah. because Luton Airport has to be the worst airport in the world yeah and it's also produced our friend Mr Tate yeah so So it's not, not it's not wrapping itself in glory is it really Luton hasn't had a lot going for it recently yeah so this provides a nice kind of respite respite yes yeah I mean it's been brought into disrepute by the Tate brothers hasn't it really yeah but there you go if you're into football stay tuned because as we said we'll have that episode in a few weeks but for now that's us over and out it is make sure you subscribe and comment your thoughts below Uh, if you've got any interesting dits on Everest I'd be interested to hear them but yeah thanks for listening and we'll see you next week see you in a bit